You are listening to Thick Thighs and Murder Vibes, a true crime podcast. Join us as we uncover untold pieces of the puzzle to give you all the dark and juicy details. Each episode will take you down the rabbit hole as we dive deep into real-life murders, unsolved mysteries, and sinister crimes. This podcast does contain explicit content and graphic descriptions. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back, accomplices, and thank you for joining us on week five. So I know we usually joke a lot throughout our episodes. Fair warning, this one is a doozy, so forgive us if the jokes are minimal this time. This case does contain real-life events that are forever burned into my brain. It's not often that I cringe when I'm researching cases, and this by far is the hardest case I've had to research and write. So grab your box of tissues and strap in, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. This episode does come with an additional warning. The descriptions in this case are extremely graphic. Triggers include abduction, torture, sexual assault, and rape. Listener discretion is strongly advised. I'm going to pre-apologize for any names that I may pronounce incorrectly, as this is the case of Junko Furuta. Junko was a Japanese student with her whole life ahead of her, but was sadly cut short. Junko was born January 18, 1971 in Masato, Japan. She lived with her parents and two brothers. Known to her friends as Jun Chan, she attended Yoshio Minami High School and worked part-time after school. She did this to save up money for a graduation plan she had arranged. Furuta also accepted a job at an electronics retailer where she planned on working after graduation. Junko Furuta was just a normal teenage girl. She was pretty, bright, and got good grades in her classes. Junko had a good girl reputation, and unlike her classmates, she didn't drink, didn't smoke, or use drugs. She was quite popular at school and seemingly had a bright future ahead of her. Then she met Hiroshi Miyano. Miyano was well known as the school bully, often seen bragging about his connections to Yakuza, a powerful Japanese organized crime syndicate. Originally, the word Yakuza was synonymous with gangster, and it is still, but it now also serves as the umbrella term for organized crime syndicates in Japan. The mafia's reach ranges from prostitution and gambling to notable sway in politics. According to their classmates, Miyano had developed somewhat of a crush on Junko and was enraged when she had turned him down. After all, no one had ever dared to reject him, especially after he told them of his Yakuza friends. Intimidation is the best form of flattery. A few days after taking his rejection, Miano and his friend Minato were hanging around a local park, preying on innocent women. As known and experienced gang rapists, Miano and Minato were experts in spotting easy targets. Around 8.30 p.m., the boys noticed Junko on her bicycle and on her way home from her job. Minato kicked Junko off her bike, expertly creating a diversion, at which point... Miano stepped in, pretending to be an innocent and concerned bystander. After helping her up, he asked if she wanted an escort home, which she unwittingly accepted. However, she never made it home. Instead, Miano led her to an abandoned warehouse where he told her of his Yakuza connections and raped her, threatening to kill her and her family if she made a sound. At around 3 a.m., he then took her to a park where his friends Minato, Agura, and Watanabe were waiting. While at the park, the boys raped her. The boys were serial sexual predators. They usually let their victims go, but Junko's suffering had only just begun. The boys smuggled Junko into Minato's parents' home in north-central Tokyo, where she would live out her remaining days in hell. She didn't know her assailants. They attacked her because they could and because they wanted to, and they embarked on weeks of atrocities because they could and because they wanted to. 
On November 27, 1988, two days after the group of teens abducted Faruda, the girl's parents notified authorities that she was missing. In an effort to stop the police investigation, Faruda's captors forced her to make three separate phone calls to her parents, informing them that she had intentionally run away from home and was living with friends. The Faruda family didn't know this would be the last time they would hear their daughter's voice. The call would hinder any possibility of rescue. As far as Minato's parents were concerned, Junko Furuto was their son's girlfriend. The pretty young girl hung around with their son so often it seemed as if she were living at their home. Even when they began to suspect that there was something more going on and that perhaps her perpetual presence wasn't always consensual, they labored under the delusion that everything was fine. More than once, she encountered the boy's parents at the house, but they didn't help her, all because they feared their son's violence and his friend's Yakuza connections. Unfortunately, the threat of the Yakuza was enough to keep them quiet, and for 44 days, Minato's parents lived in alarming ignorance of the horrors that were happening in their own home. And Minato's brother, who was too young to be named, joined Minato and his friends in the torture of this young girl. As far as Sh- Shinji Minato, and his friends Hiroshi Miyano, Joe Agura, and Yasushi Watanabe were concerned. Junko Furuto was their captive, their sex slave, and their punching bag. For Junko, each day inside Minato's residence was nothing short of hell. Over the course of those 44 days, Junko was forced to withstand unspeakable suffering. What she went through before being murdered included being humiliated by being kept naked most of the time. She was raped every day in both her vagina and anus. More than 100 men were believed to have raped her. The captor with Yakuza connections had invited other members to rape the 16-year-old. Sorry, she was 17. She is estimated to have endured roughly 500 rapes. What the fuck? At one point, she was raped by 12 different men in one day. She also endured physical beatings, which included hits with golf clubs and bashing of the face against the cement floor. The hundred men who were believed to have raped Junko had also reportedly enjoyed urinating on the girl. And frequently, to turn her rapist on, she was forced to masturbate in front of her captors and their guests. Junko had various objects forced into her vagina and anus, including glass bottles, an iron bar, scissors, roasting needles, and chicken skewers. At one point, Junko had fireworks forced into her anus before being set off, causing severe burns. What? I told you this was the hardest thing I've ever had to write. Mm, uh, Yeah. Jeez. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to hear. The poor girl was provided with very little food or water and was forced to eat live cockroaches and drink her own urine. Her left nipple was ripped off with pliers (gasps) and her breasts pierced with sewing needles. Junko was bound by her hands and feet, forced to lay on her back, and had dumbbells dropped onto her stomach, causing loss of bowel control. She was also kept in a freezer for several hours. Her eyelids were burned with hot wax and lighters. Oh my god. Her vagina and clitoris were burned with cigarettes. And at one point, there was a hot lit light bulb inserted into her vagina and rubbed until it exploded inside of her. What the fuck? Junko was said to have lost consciousness as a result of the assaults and had to be revived by dipping her head into a bucket of water. She suffered convulsions and seizures from untreated infections and malnutrition. This is terrible. 
While she was only a quarter way through her ordeal, being subjected to ongoing beatings and torture, Junko could no longer breathe through her nose due to the accumulation of blood in her sinus cavities. Jeez. Her traumatized internal organs refused to accept food and water, so when she tried to drink, she instantly vomited, which kept her more dehydrated. It also agitated the perpetrators, who punished her with more beatings for soiling the carpet. Twice the police were alerted to the girl's condition, and twice they failed to intervene. The first time, a boy who had been invited over to the Minato house by Mignano went home after seeing Furuta and told his brother about what was happening. The brother then told his parents, who contacted the police. The police showed up, but were assured by the Minato family that there was no girl inside. This answer was clearly satisfactory enough for the police, as they never returned to the home. Had the police continued to investigate the home and found Jinko, her torture would have lasted only 16 days. Oh my god, it's only been 16 days? 16 out of 44. Oh my. The second time, it was Jinko herself who called. But before she was able to say anything, the boys discovered her and demanded she hang up. When the police called back, Mignano assured them it had been a mistake and Jinko was forced to tell the police to call off the search. Which at this point, I personally would have told the police the truth because anything the boys would have done after that point would end soon one way or another. Yeah, I completely agree. It is hard to imagine what Junko felt or thought, but she did not give up. As punishment for calling the police, the boys doused Furuta's legs in lighter fluid. Oh my god. And set her on fire. A few days later, she was hung from the ceiling and beaten with golf clubs bamboo sticks, and iron rods, as well as forced to sing and dance while being beaten. They brought the weights back out, this time using them to crush and destroy her hands after they tore off her fingernails. Oh my god, no! After 20 days in captivity, Junko was unable to walk due to several leg burns and badly bruised muscles. She could handle nothing more than her hands because her bones were smashed with weights and her fingernails were torn. Even after this attack, her captors forced her to sleep on the balcony where she was exposed to cold temperatures because it's like December at this time. And this is all because she just rejected this boy. Yeah. Okay. After 30 days of continuous attack, Junko was unable to urinate properly due to her damaged internal organs and the introduction of objects and burns. Junko begged her captors to kill her but they refused and continued to attack and torture her. One of the kidnappers told the court, Furuta's legs were so badly damaged that it took her over an hour to drag herself down the stairs to the toilet. Oh my god. Which leads me to believe that she was dragging herself up and down the stairs or while this guy's parents were home. Yeah. And they still did nothing about it. Yeah. Those parents should be fucking charged too. Junko's body was so severely crippled that she began to emit a foul odor, driving the boys away from her sexually. On January 4th, 1989, two weeks before Junko's 18th birthday, her captors challenged her to a game of mahjong. They told her if she won, they would release her. However, her win only made them angry and more torture followed. They made her stand while they beat her with sticks, causing her to bleed profusely and pus to appear on her infected burn wounds. 
When more pus began to emerge from her wounds, this did not deter the monsters. They wrapped their hands with plastic bags and continued to punch and kick their victim. They then doused her face, stomach, and limbs in lighter fluid and set her on fire. Junko attempted to put out the fire, but quickly became unresponsive. This final attack on her lasted two hours, during which time she succumbed to her injuries. Can't even imagine. Fearful of being charged with murder, her cruel captors wrapped her body in blankets and stuffed her into a suitcase. They later tried to burn the rest of her remains, then stuffed her body into a 55-gallon oil drum and filled it with concrete. Now, my dad works in the concrete business, and when I told him about this, he stated that a 55-gallon drum filled with wet concrete would weigh roughly 1,800 pounds, and that's on the low end. So the odds that the four boys would have been able to move the oil drum after it was filled are not very good. However, there are conflicting stories that the boys dropped the cement-filled drum onto a cement truck, and other tellings state that the boys buried the drum in an industrial area. And I wasn't able to confirm or deny either of those two theories. Miano reportedly buried Furuta with a videotape of her favorite TV show because he feared her ghost would return to haunt Um... Because that's the thing that you fear in this situation. Maybe not killing her would have sufficed, but... You'd think. You know. If you don't want an angry-ass ghost, don't be a fucking cocksucker. Exactly. On January 23rd, 1989, Miyano and Agura were arrested for the kidnapping and gang rape of a 19-year-old girl who they abducted the month prior. So, during the time that they had Junko captive. What? They abducted another girl during that time? Yeah. They kidnapped her, raped her, and then let her go. Oh, okay. I don't think they brought her to that guy's house. Oh, okay. In an interrogation on March 29th, 1989, Mignano believed that authorities already knew that he was involved in Junko's murder and told the police where to find her body. In the end... The murder case, which the police had been referring to, had been unrelated to Junko, and Mignano had unwittingly turned himself (laughs) in, like a fucking dumbass. Fucking dumbass. Upon the authorities' recovery of the cement-filled drum, Junko's fingerprints were used to identify her body, and DNA testing linked at least two of the teens to this crime. Good. Within days, all four boys were in custody. Good. When police found Junko's body, her face was unrecognizable. During her autopsy, the coroners found uranium sea bottles, which are similar to Red Bull energy drinks, stuck inside her anal cavity. Horrifyingly, she was also pregnant, despite the severe injuries to her uterus. Oh my god. Her vagina and anus also sustained severe injuries to the point where the two holes had become one. Oh my god. When Junko's mother was informed of the horrifying torture her daughter had endured prior to her death, she fainted and needed to be admitted for psychiatric treatment. There's no way, as a mother, I would want to know what happened. Like, I don't know if that sounds terrible or not, but I don't think I could live with myself knowing that. Yeah. My daughter had to endure all that. Yeah. I'm not a mom. But I'm definitely the type where I want to know all the details. But I think if I, like, when I do have kids, I my perspective would probably change on that. Like, nope, I don't want to know. Yeah. She was tortured and she was, she was murdered. Yeah. That's, that's all I need to know. Yeah. Because that's, no parent should have to know the things that happened to that girl. No. So since the four boys were legally juvenile at the time of the crime, 
The court sealed their identities during the criminal proceedings. However, a Japanese magazine dug up and published their identities because they believed that Junko Furuta's murderers did not deserve to be kept anonymous, considering the cruelty of their crimes. Good. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Yeah, they don't need to be fucking kept anonymous. Those bastards knew exactly what they were doing. At the trial, the four perpetrators pled guilty to committing bodily injury that resulted in death rather than pleading guilty to murder. Okay. It's like they might as well have just called it manslaughter. Maybe that's just a slap in the face. Just, oops, she died. Don't know why. Shockingly, because the boys were underage by Japanese standards, they were given lenient sentences. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not fucking kidding you. The Tokyo Public Prosecutor's Office sought a life sentence for the leader of the gang. Due to the horrific, protracted series of crimes against Furuta, his record of delinquency, and his known association with professional criminals. However, Miano's lawyers successfully presented him as a remorseful young man trying to overcome a destabilizing childhood brain injury. What? What, what a crock of shit. Agreed. A remorseful young man. Nobody does that to a fucking child and is remorseful about it. In July 1990, a lower court sentenced Miyano to 17 years in prison. In July 1991, a judge in a higher court later revised the sentence to 20 years. Still 20 years. That is not bringing any justice. The remaining teens all receive lighter sentences. Three to four years for Watanabe, four to six years for Minato, and eight years in juvenile detention for Agura. What? How are they getting lighter sentences when they had another victim say that these guys did that to her as well? And they're still only getting three to four years? I honestly have no idea. I know that they said because they were still technically juveniles at this point, even though most of them were 18. They're like 17 and 18. It doesn't make any sense. No. So, Agira's mother was so upset over the arrest of her son that she went out of her way to desecrate Junko's gravesite by smearing it with red paint. Oh my gosh. With inconceivable audacity, this bitch blamed Junko for her son being in jail. Oh my god. Yeah, because she wanted this. It was what she had planned. Watanabe and Minato tried to appeal their sentences, and in response, a higher court raised the terms giving one a five to seven year sentence and the other a five to nine year sentence. So still just a slap on the wrist. But more time than they were originally sentenced as. Yeah. Minato's parents and brother were never charged. His parents are just as much to blame. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. In the United States, you're an accomplice. Yeah. Like you knew the whole time and you didn't say anything. I can't. But as part of the sentencing, they were forced to sell their home and pay Peruta's parents an estimated of 50 million yen, or a little over $600,000. But out of that $600,000 in restorations that was ordered to be given to the family by Mr. and Mrs. Minato, zero cents actually went to the Peruta family. You're kidding me. The Minatos ended up giving the money from selling their house to Minato, Watanabe, and Agira when they were released from jail. And these assholes used the money to party. Are you fucking kidding me? So remorseful. Agira didn't appeal his sentence and served out his term. 
When he turned 22, he had to be transferred from a juvenile prison to finish a short portion of his sentence in an adult facility. He was 17 at the time of the crime. He served a combined eight years and was released in 1999. On release, he changed his name to Joe Kamasaku, taking the surname of one of the parties who'd supported him through the trial. But by 2004, Kamisatu had allegedly renewed his contract with the underworld, and he was in trouble with the law again. Mm. Shocker. He was arrested for assaulting a 27-year-old acquaintance, Takatoshi Isano. Upset that a woman in his life might be involved with Isano, Kamisaku tracked the man down, beat him, shoved him in his truck, drove him from Adachi to his mother's bar in Masato, Furuta's hometown, and continued to beat him. During the four-hour beating, Kamisaku allegedly threatened to kill the man telling him that he had killed before and knew how to get away with it. During his trial, Kamisaku admitted to the assault, but he denied that he'd referred to any previous murder or had threatened Asano. Prosecutors wanted Kamisaku to spend another seven years in prison. They got a conviction and the sentence they wanted. Kamisaku has since been released again. Of course he has. In January 2013, Miyano was arrested once more for fraud, and later that month, was released without charge due to insufficient evidence. In 2018, Minato was once again arrested for attempted murder after he beat a 32-year-old man with a metal rod and slashed his throat with a knife. By now, all the boys have been released from jail, and Watanabe is believed to be the only one who has avoided further criminal activity since his release, and the rest have not proven to have turned their lives around. Clearly. How on earth so many injustices were committed over the course of this tragic event is still a mystery to this day. It's unthinkable that so little justice was served for this poor girl's 44 days in hell. At Junko Furuta's funeral, her future employer gave her parents a uniform and a touching gesture that they could place in her casket, and the principal of her high school provided her with a diploma. The following is a quote from a memorial address written by one of her friends. Welcome back. I have never dreamed that we would see you again in this way. You must have been in so much pain, so much suffering. The happy we all made from the school festival looked really good on you. We will never forget you. I have heard that the headmaster has presented you with a graduation certificate, so we graduate together, all of us. There is no more pain, no more suffering. Please rest in peace. I'm not crying, you're crying. I am crying. <laughs> so, Shayna, I know... You'd never heard this story before. So what was it like hearing it for the first time? <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> it's heartbreaking knowing that she had to endure so much. It makes me angry. <laughs> yeah. Like first I was sad and then I was just angry, especially knowing that they aren't going to spend life. They got prison. away with it. None of them really had to serve. Yeah. They served five years. That's mm -hmm. fucking nothing. Yeah. The one guy served 20. He did not get a lesser sentence, but, you know, he was still released. Yeah. Ugh, that was a tough one. It was. Wow. Uh, so hopefully you were able to make it through all of that with us. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Starting next week, we are going to do something new. We are going to bring you listener birthdays. <laughs> so if you have a birthday coming up, send us an email or message on Facebook and let us know when it is, and we'll give you a shout out in that week's episode. You can email us at thickthighsmurdervibes at gmail.com. 
Find us on Facebook at Thick Thighs and Murder Vibes Community. As always, thank you for all the love and support. I hope I didn't scare anyone off and that you join us next week for Mother's Day when we bring you Killer Moms. Bye! Bye.